Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Irvindale. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Christ Jesus. Today we conclude Mike's message on Luke. Is it acceptable to God's law to save a life or to destroy it? Now, why is he asking this question? Because probably the week prior, he's out in the wheat field, and they're coming along telling him, we're the authorities, we know what the Sabbath law is all about, and we're judging you and saying that walking through this wheat field and breaking off the pieces off the head of, of the wheat stalks and rubbing them in your hands and eating, that's against the Sabbath, you're breaking the Sabbath. So, Jesus looks at them now in this other occasion and says, tell me, if if, if it would be wrong to do good for this man, or should evil be done? Should we enhance his life, or should we destroy it? You know, that question he asked was a question they dare not answer, and they didn't. If they would have said, well, it's acceptable to do good, then they would have no way to accuse Jesus. In fact, they would have to start following him, and that wasn't their intention. If they say, well, bad, well they would then be answering an ob- obviously in a wrong way in front of a crowd of people and they would come off looking like the bad guys. But I want you to consider this. I want you to consider that maybe the question Jesus asked was never intended to actually be answered by them physically. Perhaps the question wasn't meant to be answered. Perhaps it was meant to shock them into reality. To shock them into thinking about the incongruity of their intentions in light of their position as representatives of God. Here they are hiding behind the the external and their intent is to try to do away with Jesus. These guys though are representatives of God. Perhaps the question is asked to cause them a moment of reflection. Luke says... That after he asked the question, he paused. He paused and he looked at them intently. He looked at them. You ever had somebody do that in a real tense situation? They just stop and look. It's a very powerful thing to do. You just look them right in the eye. Why did he do that? I would propose that he's doing it to give them time to think. He's asked a very provocative question. He's giving them time to think. He's giving them also time to prepare for, the, for an experience of the reality of the Messiah firsthand. And after asking the question and after giving the moments of silence and looking them right in the eye, he now turns his attention back to the man who's still standing there, just a foot or two or three from the religious leaders of Israel. And he says, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. I want you to notice Jesus does not touch the man. I want you to notice that Jesus didn't even speak the words of healing. He only asked the man to stretch out his hand. And right there in front of the Pharisees, what is Utterly impossible for man to do transpired right before their eyes. 
They saw a man whose hand was obviously messed up and unusable. They saw this lifeless, worthless hand restored to life, health, and strength. Try to picture that if you can. Try to picture one of those really verifiable physical things that everyone can see. And imagine that crumpled up little hand, all of a sudden it begins to swell up to kind of look like the other one turns pinkish and all of a sudden the joints are working and his hand is completely whole. And you watch it happen. Who, who but God could do that? Indeed, who but God could do that? I want you to understand that as we look at this scene, it was more than an opportunity for a withered hand to be restored. It it was more than that. It was an opportunity for withered hearts to be restored. I mean, in the face of such irrefutable evidence, how could they not believe? In the face of such irrefutable, they see it with their own eyes. How could their hearts not be softened? How could they not even possibly say, maybe he is the son of God. Maybe he is the Messiah we've been looking for. Because we're seeing the work of the kingdom of God taking place right in front of us. But they didn't believe. They didn't believe. Instead, one man found deliverance, while many that day found disturbance. One man was delivered, several were disturbed. Luke writes, and he, speaking of the man with the withered hand, did so, meaning he stretched out his hand, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they, the Pharisees, were filled with rage. Can can, can any of you give me a look of what filled with rage would be like? Anybody dare do? There's no camera on you. Filled with rage. How many of you have ever been filled with rage? Anybody? Yeah, it's okay. I mean, yeah, I have. My goodness, when I get that angry, it takes me a long time to cool off. It takes me a long time to get there, but man, when I get there, I go over big time. (laughs) It's just like, get out of my way, Tie me to a chair, try tie me to a tree, do something because I'm going to hurt myself or hurt somebody else. Rage. Rage. Truth point number three. There is no middle ground with Jesus. He either becomes your deliverer or he becomes your disturber. One is either awakened and redeemed by the gospel or they remain dead in their sins, repelled by the absolute truth claim of the gospel. In this particular case, one man found Jesus to be his deliverer. I'm sure his heart was filled with joy. I'm sure his heart was filled with wonder. He, He was probably just knocked over with awe as he just couldn't believe what had just happened to him. But those other men on the front row, they became extremely disturbed. All the way to the point of saying amongst themselves, we got to shut this man down. And we have to do whatever it takes to make it happen. Whatever it takes. Now I have to ask this morning, what about you? What, what, What about you? 
Have you been delivered by Jesus? Have you, have you found your spirit, your soul being brought to life by his saving grace? Or do you find Jesus and his claims disturbing? For those who may find it disturbing, I want to say to you, I get it. I get it. It can be disturbing to admit that you are a sinner. It's very disturbing to admit that. Nobody likes to be painted as the bad guy. Nobody wants to think of themselves as a bad person. It can be disturbing to accept that I am completely powerless to do anything to change my condition before God. There's absolutely not one thing I can do. That is disturbing because that means I'm helpless. And we don't like feeling, much less being, helpless. It can be disturbing when asked to repent, which means to turn, to turn from our personal sin and the sinful system of the world to embrace Jesus. Why would that be disturbing? Because, because we look at some professing Christians and we think to ourselves, if that's what being a Christian is, I don't want anything to do with it. It's disturbing. You want me to become one of them? Well, the reality of hypocrisy in the ranks of professing believers, it can be quite disturbing. I get it. But I pray that if you're here today and in any way you find Jesus, his claims, or his demands to be disturbing, I pray that today you will get that you will get this. That you will get that being delivered from the guilt and curse of sin is beautiful. It is a freeing reality. I want you to get that it is a breath of fresh air to know that all condemnation against you and your sin has been removed by faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to know that when you come to faith in Jesus, you become a son or daughter of God. You become a joint heir of the riches of God with Jesus Christ, and that is thrilling. And I want you to know that your time on earth, I want you to get this, that if you come to faith in Jesus, your time on earth will be the only hell you'll ever know. And that's reassuring. It's not God's intent um, that the good news of the gospel disturb you at all, but that it deliver you. Sadly, however, for the majority, the gospel is disturbing. And scripture tells us that only a few find their way to it. In fact, Jesus himself said that. I want you to take note of Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Jesus said, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The narrow gate is Jesus himself. There is no other life, truth. There's no other way. He goes on to say the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Now, I'm about to close up, so I really want you to pay attention carefully as I bring this to a summary. The narrowness and difficulty of the gateway to life. The reason it's narrow is because there is only one place we can enter in. We cannot enter in 
through Muhammad. We cannot enter in through Joseph Smith. We cannot enter in through a commitment to any church of any kind. We cannot enter in through our own reform and our own behavioral management. No. The only way that anyone can enter into the gateway of life is through Jesus who said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I want to make sure that the people in this room this morning understand this, or at least you hear it. I want you to understand that the demand of Jesus is that we abandon all other ways and we embrace him alone. Now that is, a, that is a thought that today just is not tolerated. I know it's not politically correct. And I know if I was beyond the walls of this church saying that, I would be, get some very heavy criticism. But despite all that, it's true. You can't hold on to this and hold on to Jesus. Jesus' claim is, abandon everything and embrace me. And that's why it's narrow. And the reason that that type of a demand is made is because despite popular thought, there are not many roads to God. All roads do not lead to the Father. The only one is Jesus Christ. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.